Uh, the interesting thing about life is that everything is spiritual. Our eyes really betray us. Uh, we think that there's so much going on that we just visibly see on the surface. It's material stuff, but the reality is you can't have material without spiritual. Everything at some level of, of depth is really spiritual. And so we see Paul talking that God has reconciled us and has been working to reconcile us spiritually to himself through Jesus Christ. And that in this whole thing, he also then bestows on us what he calls the ministry of reconciliation. In 1 Peter, Peter talks about we're, we're actually a spiritual house. God is taking us, his church, and building us into this spiritual house with Jesus as the chief uh, cornerstone, the foundation. And so in a very real way, the whole house is built on grace. It's built on Christ. It's built on grace. And if we want to stretch the metaphor, the mortar holding together the bricks is forgiveness. If we're going to endure into time in healthy relationships with other people, it's going to be grace and forgiveness that gets us there and that keeps us. So we did a series a number of weeks ago on grace and forgiveness, just trying to really wrestle with how do we understand things like forgiveness and reconciliation and begin to model that, that we could be a church that really has a difference about us, a love that's not just a feeling of desire or want, but a love that's sacrificial and Christ-like. And I'm kind of excited about this morning. We have a guest with us that I was able to meet at last year's Justice Conference. He's going to be at this year's Justice Conference again, uh, but he is, in every sense of the word, both academically and in practice, one of, I would say, the world's experts on forgiveness and reconciliation. Dr. Celestine uh, Musakura is a native of Rwanda, and he was in studies, he's going to tell you more of his story, but in studies in Kenya, and then came back to his country of Rwanda right after the genocide to begin a ministry of reconciliation and the journey that God has taken him on since then in 94 is nothing short of Pauline, very Paul-like in his sufferings and in his sacrifice. Uh, he has got a master's from Kenya and then also a master's in a, in a uh, doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's written books on peace and reconciliation. And the ministry that he started, which is called Alarm, Africa Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries, works all throughout the region of Central Africa, bringing peace to communities and trying to help restore the divide that comes from tribal conflict, um, even just marital issues, issues in churches and beyond. So he really is, in, in many ways, someone that we can learn from as we try to grapple with this, this idea of grace and forgiveness. And so I'm just incredibly blessed that we have the opportunity to hear his story and to kind of learn about reconciliation through him. So would you welcome with me this morning... Dr. Celestine Musakura. Thank you. Good morning. How are you doing? It's too bright. It is a great honor and privilege for me to be here this morning. I am uh, very, very grateful that uh, in His grace, God has allowed me to be here uh, Thursday. I was in Goma, Congo, and uh, traveled through Rwanda, and uh, I was praying that all the uh, human-made 
instruments, uh, plans would work that I'd be here on time. In fact, it didn't work because uh, somebody messed up in Kigali, did not know I need to make a connection from Kigali to Nairobi and decided that uh, they would cancel my flight from Nairobi to um, uh, Amsterdam to Atlanta and then uh, everything messed up and so I had to send an email to Kathleen and say, Kathleen, I may not be there on time. But uh, again, through prayers, again, God did a miracle. So my wife and I arrived on uh, Saturday midnight in Dallas and uh, went, I took my wife home and uh, unpacked and then parked and then I began the journey to come here. And uh, then at the airport uh, in Dallas, they said, oh no, there's a delay. Because I had hoped to be here enough uh, Saturday afternoon, early afternoon, so that I can go to sleep. <laughs> but uh, the people uh, in Dallas say, oh, uh, our flight is delayed, so we have to take you from here to Salt Lake, Denver, and then Ben. And, Man, what punishment is this? <laughs> but uh, I'm here, praise the Lord. Uh, I may be sleeping, so I had hoped there would be people here who may catch me if I sleep and fall over. I will try to be awake, so I took a lot of coffee and uh, I am awake. Uh, I bring greetings from your brothers and sisters from Congo. Uh, last time uh, I was in a band during the conference, uh, the just the conference, that's actually when I learned about uh, Antioch Church and how God has used you to bring hope and healing to the many people in the Eastern Congo. And so I'm uh, bringing greetings to you. And uh, my friend, Dan Bros, who uh, most of you know, uh, I was hoping to find him here, but yesterday he sent me an email. He said, oh, I have relocated to Baltimore, but give my friends my greetings. And so I bring greetings from Dan, your own friend and brother. Uh, my wife and my kids, they say that to bring greetings, I have uh, uh, one wife, I have to be clear on that. <laughs> uh, Africa, we are known to have more wives. And uh, at different times, of course. Uh, no, at the same time. Americans are known to have more wives at different times. <laughs> so the same crime. <laughs> Bernadette told me to bring greetings. She wished she was here, but uh, she was... Uh, she told me to bring greetings. We have four kids, uh, Providence and Prudence. Uh, are, those are daughters who are 26 and 24. And we have two boys, Samuel and Emmanuel, uh, who are 23 and 18. So according to the African tradition, I am an old man. I am Amze. And uh, I'm uh, so grateful that uh, I can share with you uh, the story of God's grace. Uh, I was born and raised up in Rwanda. I grew up in a community where actually I did not know Christ until I was 17 years old uh, through a missionary who came to the village. The first time I saw a white man, I was turning 15. In fact, when I saw this creature, I thought he was one of the ghosts from hell <laughs> or one of the animals from bush. And through uh, touching and smelling and through uh, pinching and, and doing all sorts of things, that's when I was told about God's love. 
uh, Kyle was a missionary from uh, the Conservative Baptist Church who had been a missionary in the Congo. And uh, when the Congo mission closed, he, come, he came to Rwanda and began to teach the gospel. You have to understand that at that time, I was being raised as a traditional priest. My mother had no children for nine years, and she was told she was a barren. She had no children because the ancestors had closed her womb. And as a result, then she spent all her life offering the blood of animals to the ancestors, pleading for having to have a child. Of course, in those days, even today in some traditions, in some culture in Africa, when a mother has no children, they believe there's a curse on her. And because of that belief, my mother could not sit with other women. She could not go to the fountain to draw water with other women. She could not touch the babies because they believed if she touched the babies, the babies will die. So she was an outcast. And she was crying every day, crying to the ancestors to give her a child. Nine years later, when I was born, she named me Musekura. That's my last name, which means savior. Somebody who saves you from a bad situation. So I grew up offering blood of animals. I grew up be, uh, being trained to be a priest. And so at the age of seven, I knew how to slaughter a chicken, to slaughter a goat, to take the blood of animals, to take this house and ask the ancestors to give me life, to give my family peace. After me, two brothers were born and one sister. It was my responsibility to make sure they are alive. Unfortunately, one time I lost my sister when she was 12, uh, two weeks old. I was turning 12, and I was told she died because I failed her. And so that's how I grew up until when I was 17. Again, by the grace of God, I gave my life to Christ. But when I gave my life to Christ, that was, again, a beginning of a journey, which I don't have time to tell. But I want to tell you that it changed my life because at that moment, I began to realize that following Christ is not cheap grace, like Bonhoeffer would say. Because at that moment, I was asked to leave home. I was told by my parents that I do not belong to them anymore. So I became a street boy. I ate from the trash. My parents were afraid that if I came home, they would die because their ancestors would kill them. And so by God's grace, I grew up and let alone, I finished high school, I went to Bible school. In 1983, I came back to Rwanda, became a priest, became a preacher, became a priest of the Most High. And I began the pastoral ministry. By God's grace, I led my mother to Christ. I led her to the real Savior. And my father to Christ, my brother to Christ, and uh, my life began there. So as I spent more time, I realized that I need to go back to school. And so I went to Kenya, and uh, while in Kenya, then the unthinkable happened in my home country of Rwanda, the genocide. And so today, we are dealing with issues in Rwanda. Some of you have seen Hotel Rwanda. We are dealing with issues that has, in fact, challenged all of us. Issues that has, have challenged our faith. Because in Rwanda, in 1994, the genocide happened just a few years later after missionologists, uh, church planters, Successful missionaries had said Rwanda is a success story because many Rwandese have become Christians. 
You see, Rwanda was a success story, known for church growth. Missiologists, missionaries who were planning church in Rwanda were showing Rwanda as a study case or as a, a successful case. Now, the question is, how can you explain that within 100 days, in a most Christian country, within 100 days, 1 million people died? How can we explain the fact that Christians in Rwanda killed each other? How do you explain today that in 1994, just within between April 6th and the end of July, one million people died, while three million left the country and lived in exile? I want to tell you the problem was that most of us in Rwanda, and as it is happening in many parts of Africa, we are focusing on making converts, not making disciples. And because of that, you have many people who are full of anger and bitterness because of the history, because of uh, hatred, because of the Hutu being Hutus and Tutsis, because of tribalism, you have men and women full of anger and bitterness in the church where they say, we are saved, we are following Christ. And this morning, I want us to uh, read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, and really uh, focus on how do we get out of this uh, cycle of hatred and, and bitterness and revenge. Paul, in he, uh, the writer of Hebrews, and uh, there's a debate whether it's Paul or another person who wrote Hebrews. We are don't, not going to discuss that. But the writer of Hebrews uh, gives us a way out of our bitterness, a way out of our hatred, a way out of uh, um, living in a cycle of revenge. In fact, he's giving us a remedy. He's warning us that if we need to live a life that is worth living, we need to get rid of bitterness and anger and revenge. And so it says, Hebrews 12, 14, says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grow up to cause trouble and defile many. The writer is telling us to be careful, to see to it, to make every effort. Now, it means to make every effort to live in peace with everyone. I want to remind you, we are, creature, we are creatures who do not wake up in the morning and say, today I want to forgive someone. Isn't it? We are, no, when I ask you a question, I am a Baptist preacher, African. When I ask you a question, answer me. <laughs> we don't wake up when we have been hurt, when we have been uh, uh, bruised, when we have been uh, betrayed by our brothers, by our fathers, even when we are, have been betrayed by God, when we have been abandoned, when we have been messed up. We don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, this morning I feel to forgive someone. I'm full of forgiveness. No, we are creatures full of justice. We want justice to be done. And in fact, justice is revenge most of the time. 
And so we need to make all efforts. It is not as simple to live with the, ma- the person who betrayed you. It takes all efforts for us not to allow the root of bitterness to grow in us. And I want to suggest this morning that the only way that we can avoid any root of bitterness to grow in our hearts and to defile many, like it defied Rwanda, like the root of bitterness has brought death in Rwanda, in Eastern Congo, in Sudan, everywhere. Like root of bitterness has defied many people in our communities, there is one remedy, which is forgiveness. Only forgiveness will help us to undo the root of bitterness in our hearts. The root that is defiling many every day, killing many every day. And so in my journey, I have been learning because not only have I experienced these issues and the results of bitterness in my own life, in my own nation, in my own uh, communities in the region where I live, but also I have been trying to learn what does it mean for me as a follower of Christ? What does it mean for me to live a life without bitterness? And so I went back and began to read, to study the word of God, and to find men and women who can inspire me, who can challenge me, who can help me to learn from their journey. And one of those men is Joseph in the Old Testament. Of course, we all know Joseph. Joseph was a young man who was born in a family, a dysfunctional family like all of us. No family is perfect. If you know one, let me know. But Joseph had his own trouble, but also he had a common shared problem like we do today. Born to this family, and his father began the process by loving him more than the rest of his siblings. And the Bible tells us that he gave him a jacket, a robe with many colors, probably like mine, you know. No, better than mine. And the Bible says that began because his father loved him more. In chapter 37 of Genesis, the, the brothers hated him. To make the matter worse, Joseph, at the age of 17, God gave him, gave him a gift. He became the dreamer. He began to dream that one day his brothers and his father, his mother, will worship him. Will actually bow before him. He will be the, the, the king. He will be the boss. They will be the slaves. Then the Bible says his brothers hated him even more and more. Now, Joseph was a naive young man. At that age, he did not know what to say in his dream, what not to say. He was excited. And so, we share the stories. And so, one day, the Bible tells us that his brothers had gone to tend to the sheep, and then the father told him to take the food for him. And so, at, uh, in chapter 37, verse 19 and 20, something happens. The Bible says, when he was still far, he's bringing food to them. When they saw him, they said this. Please, if you have your Bibles, open with me, chapter 37, verse 19 and 20. This is a very interesting statement that I want us to look at. Genesis 37, verse 19. Actually, let's begin verse 18. Genesis 37, verse 18, 19, and 20. 
But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. These are the brothers. These are the brothers who have called him the dreamer. He's no longer Joseph. They have changed his name. He has become a dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. Let us kill him and see what will happen to his dream. You see, his brothers' bitterness had grown in their hearts. Anger, jealous, hatred had grown in their hearts that they stopped looking at Joseph as a brother, but now they called him a different name, stereotypes. They called him the dreamer. He was no longer our brother. He was no longer Joseph. Here comes the dreamer. Let us kill him and see what will happen to his dreams. I want to propose that forgiveness happens to us, my friends, when we are not driven, led, motivated by anger, bitterness, and jealousy. Joseph's brothers had allowed the root of bitterness to grow in their hearts, and now they are, in fact, becoming so dangerous to Joseph. The Bible says what happened next, Joseph brought the food, and the Bible says when they ate, sat down to eat their food, they sold his brother, their brothers. They sold him. He brought them food. They plot to kill him. While they seated on the stone that covered the cistern where they threw him, they threw him in this empty well, and they sat on the stone, and while they ate the food he brought to them, they plotted to sell him. They sold him for 20 shekels to these Midianites who took him to Egypt and then sold him to this uh, Potiphar man who was the captain of the guards in Egypt. Few days or few years later on, this woman accused him of rape because he, she tried to rape him. He ran away. Instead, she said, hey, catch him. He tried to rape me. Joseph the court is put in jail for years. In jail, he meets two guys. He interprets their dreams. And one of them said, Joseph, when I'm out, I'll remember you. Did he remember him? No. You see, Joseph had the reason to be bitter, to be angry. He had the reason to be bitter against his father who actually caused some of the hatred. He had the chance in fact, revenge, we see that later on. But Joseph also had the chance, had the reason, I would say he had the reason to be bitter against his brothers because his brothers had sold him. If, had not, if they had not sold him, he would not have suffered in the hands of the woman who tried to rape him. He would not have been in jail. He would not have been beaten up. He would not have been dragged from his nation. You see, Joseph had lost the people he loved more. You remember his mother died when he was young because his mother died in the childbirth of Benjamin, Joseph's brother. So Joseph had lost everything. Joseph had lost his father who loved him and his young brother, Benjamin. Joseph had lost his nation. He had lost his identity. He is now in jail. Joseph had the chance to be full of poison, to be full of anger and bitterness against everyone. 
At this moment, Joseph is in Egypt. He is in jail. Let alone he's out of jail. He becomes the prime minister in Egypt. Meanwhile, a famine takes place in his nation. Then his brothers are sent to buy food in Egypt. Many years later, they come to Egypt. In chapter 45 of Genesis, you see the story. They come, they are coming to, to buy food. They are brought by the famine in this land. And Joseph is in power. Joseph is the leader. Joseph is managing everything in Egypt. And lo and behold, Joseph discovered them. And the Bible says they did not know Joseph. Now, if you were Joseph, if I, were jo I was Joseph, <laughs> would you have said, my time has come? Isn't it? Again, because we are creature of vengeance. We are creature of who like to revenge, to get even. If I were Joseph, I would say, they did not recognize me. They don't know me. I know what they did to me. I could remember. I could rehearse. I could see all the suffering I've gone through. I would say, this is my time to do what? To revenge. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes. Now, yeah, 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 yeah. Now. You see, at this point in chapter 45, we see that bitterness and anger could have harmed not only the brothers, but Joseph himself. And so Joseph says, who are you? Are you spies? Have you come to spy? Because those days, they were spies. So Joseph says, you are spies. You did not come to buy food. You are spies. That's why you are here. We will put you in jail. And so he was provoking them. He wanted to know what's going on. And then he said, no, we are no spies. We are hungry. Our parents, our father, my, our father back, he sent us here because our wives, our children are starving to death. Our camels, we have lost everything because of famine. We came to buy food. We are not spies. He said, no, no, no. How can I know you're not spies? And so he sent them back, you know the story, and then let alone, he, they brought his, their young brother, Benjamin, and so uh, Joseph said, now Benjamin is going to stay so that you go to bring your father. You are lying. And uh, so everything is going on. Then something happened in Joseph's heart. Chapter 45, then Joseph could no longer control himself because when they were telling him about their father, when he said, you go back, they said, we cannot go back. If you go back without Benjamin, our father will die. You see, king, Lord, my Lord, they were explaining to him again, this point, they don't know who he is. They said, if we go back, our father will die because one time we had a brother. The animal ate him. You know, they are telling Joseph. The animal ate him. And when the animal ate him, our father was so angry, was so sad, he since then he has not recovered from the shock because he loved our son. Now the little young Benjamin is the only one who consoles him. If we go back without Benjamin, surely our old man will die. And one of the big brothers said, please, instead, let me be your slave, but let this boy go because our father will die. So Joseph was overwhelmed by emotions and then he could not control himself. And then chapter 45, he says, verse 3 says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? 
But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. The Bible, children of the Bible says his brothers were so ashamed to look at his face. You see, I want to suggest that Joseph here is able to do a couple of things. One, look at verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there have been famine in the land and for the next five years, they will no longer, they will not be plowing and reaping. But God, see again, second time, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your life by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Look, when you read this story three times, Joseph says, it was not you sent me here. Joseph, stop a moment. These guys sold you. These guys hated you. These guys were jealous of you. Joseph, are you crazy? How can you say it is not them? It is them. You see, that's how we think. You see, Joseph is able to deal with the issues, to overcome the bitterness and the anger because he is able to look beyond the pain. Looking beyond the pain, my friends, is the key word that will enable all of us to undo the bitterness in our hearts. Looking beyond the pain in the heart will enable us to do many things. You see, we are not able to forgive like Joseph. We are not able to give grace because we focus on the heart. We focus on the pain we have endured. You see, when we focus on the pain and the suffering we have gone through, Terrible things happen to our lives. The first terrible thing that happens to us, we begin the process of demonization and dehumanization. We demonize the other people. We make their sins to be more bigger than they actually are. We make them evil than they are. That's what happens in Rwanda between the Hutus and the Tutsis. We demonize, we make the other people ruthless and worthless. Then we dehumanize them. We make them less human. When we make them less human, then when we mistreat them, we don't feel guilty. You see, focusing on our pain makes us to be more evil even than the people who have hurt us. You see, Joseph was able to look beyond the pain. He says, it is not I. It is not you. It is not even the circumstances. God knew it. The second terrible thing that happened to us when you focus on the pain, we become God. We want to execute justice. We want to revenge, but we call it justice. And in the process of revenging, my friends, we go beyond the board. That's why the Bible says, you shall not revenge my children because vengeance belongs to God. Because when we become God, let alone Joseph, his brothers would call him again. Joseph, die, uh, his father dies in chapter 50. Verse 15. His father dies. When Joseph, uh, Jacob dies, the brothers said, now that our father has died, maybe Joseph will revenge. And so they send, they went to him and say, Joseph, look, before our father died, this is what he instructed us. 
verse 16. Your father left this instruction before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you, forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brother then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slave, they said. Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph said, I don't revenge because I'm not taking the place of God. You see, when we focus on our heart, when we focus on the evil committed against us, my friends, we become God, we play God, and that's very dangerous. The other thing that is dangerous to us when we focus on the pain, we actually become what we hate. Because we want to revenge. I want to share with you, this happened to me in 1998. January 1998, I was in Dallas, a Dallas seminary, when I got a message that my father, my mother, my brother, his wife, and children were murdered. You see, those of you who have read the story of Rwanda in 1994 because of the hatred between the Hutus and Tutsis, they were killing, killings of neighbors, sometimes fathers killing their, their sons, sometimes mothers killing their sons. Sometimes, many times, neighbors king neighbors. And unfortunately for us in Rwanda, men and women who sat together in the pews like you today killed each other because many of them thought they were Hutus first or Tutsi first and the Christian second. The mass killing, the genocide. And so many people ran into exile. Many people ran into Congo. Three million left the country. One million died Three million left the country, so you have a very, very terrible situation in Rwanda. Those three million who ran into the camps in Tanzania and Congo, every day for the first three months, every day about 3,000 people were dying because of the cholera, dysentery, typhoid, and so forth. And so because I was born in the northwest of Rwanda, uh, in our community we had both Hutus and Tutsis and Pygmies. And in fact, my wife is born from a father who is a Hutu. Her mother is a Tutsi. And so I don't know what my children are. But because of hatred and animosity, many people killed each other. And so my family fled. They lived in the refugee camps for many years. Nobody was killed in my village during the days of genocide. In between April 6th and end of July, nobody died in my village because people lived together. They fled together. But as you know, some of you know the story, many years later, in 1996-97, the militia, the Hutus began to attack the country and they began to fight with the current government the, who, that they had taken over. And so the problem happened that uh, in 1997, December, in my community, there was a fight between the Tutsi government officials and the Hutu militia already come from Congo and the process of dealing with those issues, systematic killing happened in my village where five members of my family was murdered, were murdered and 70 people in my village, most of them members of the church where I was a pastor. 
You see, 1994, when I began this work, I was working with the pastors who had lost their family, whose wives had been murdered, whose children had been killed, whose uh, relatives had been killed. And these pastors that I began to work with were dealing with the issue of hatred. Some pastors were dealing with the issue of betrayal. They had been betrayed by their uh, members of the church. They had been betrayed by their uh, relatives. Some of the pastors had gone to minister. When they went back home, they found their wives and children chopped into pieces. And they were saying, where was God when my family was murdered? Some of those pastors had hidden the people in their homes, and the pastors ran away, hoping that nobody would come and, and find them. Unfortunately, some of these people were hidden in the homes of the pastors, were found, and they were killed in the pastors' homes. And the pastor was saying, why didn't I stay there? Why didn't I stay with them? Other pastors, as you have read, betrayed their own people. Many pastors, in fact, took uh, uh, part in what was going on. They became more Hutu, they became more Tutsis, they became more tribal than Christian. And so when I began, I was helping them to deal with the sense of shame and anger and bitterness and betrayal. I was helping them to deal with their own bitterness, their own anger. In fact, I was helping some of the pastors to deal with forgiveness because some of the pastors would tell me, Celestine, I know who killed my wife and four children. Can I go and kill them and then forgive them after that? <laughs> you see, my friends, when anger and bitterness has taken over, we forget our identity. We forget who we are in Christ. We become hateful. We become evil than the people who committed evil in the first place. But I did not know that when this would happen to me, I did not know how I would respond. January 5th, 1998, I was in Dallas when the facts came and I read the fact that my family members, seven members of my family were murdered and 70 people that I loved so much. When I read the facts, I started crying. I said, God, where were you? The same question that I began to deal with four years before, I was asking the same questions. In fact, that night I remember asking God, who did it? I want to know who did it. I want to know who has done the terrible thing because I wanted to revenge. Of course, I didn't want to take the machetes or I was not going to take the machetes and go to kill them. I was going to revenge, maybe by praying bad prayer. Maybe by avoiding them. Maybe by knowing who did so that next time I'm in my village, I will not greet them. Maybe that I will not even, uh, you know, wish them well. I want to know who did it. It was that moment when the Lord said, Celestine, you have been helping others. You don't have to know who did it before you forgive them. The Lord began to confront me that I don't have to know who killed my relatives before I forgive them. You see, for three years, for about four years, I have been teaching people how to forgive, but I did not understand the cause of forgiveness before that fateful night. It was that night that the Lord reminded me that the forgiver pays the cost of forgiveness forgiveness. While we are yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. It is God, the holy God that we offended. It is the God who is holy, who was, uh, who had all the right 
to punish us, who had all the right to destroy all of us, it was the Holy God who at the same time gave his own son so that you and I can be forgiven. You see, we do not understand. The reason why we carry every day bitterness and anger and revenge is because we have not understood the cause of forgiveness. We have not understood the secret of forgiveness. Joseph, in this chapter, he tells us we need to look beyond the pain and sorrow if we are going to overcome the anger and the bitterness. If we are going to be forgiving people, we need to realize that God, in his sovereignty, he is under control. That night, I started asking God, I cannot forgive them unless you give me grace because I realized, me, Celestine, I have no power to control. I have no power to forgive. I am weak because I am a man who wants justice. I want to revenge. I want to know who did what so that I can pay back. You and I, we are creatures of revenge. We want just to be done. The reason why there is a problem in our communities, the reason why we have, in fact, in America, we say, we, we read that the highest, the highest divorce rate is among Christians than non-Christians. Why? It's because we Christians, we have not known the secret of overcoming injustice, betrayal in our lives. It's because we have become so selfish, so righteous that we say we cannot forgive. In fact, we have people who have told us, this is what you can forgive, this is what you cannot forgive. And then the Bible says everything can be forgiven. Why have we, we, we who have been forgiven, why can we, can't we forgive? It was that night when I learned also that forgiveness is only possible when we are able to give up our rights to be right. You see, we want to get right. We, America, we have, while Africans, we are, right, we are people who are bent to revenge. America, you are a nation who are bent to right, to right to rights and justice. I want my rights. You see, God in his grace gave up the right to be right when he gave his son to die for you and for, her, for me. You see, forgiveness means you release the right to be right. You release the wish, the desire to punish. It was that night when I said, God, if you give me grace, I will. I want to tell you, I woke up my wife and the children, we prayed, and honestly speaking, I forgave those who murdered my family. I want to tell you, one year later, six months later, I'm sorry, six months later, I learned that my mother had survived. You see, my mother survived because during the killing, she fainted. She spent between four and five hours under the dead bodies when others had died. And when she came back to life, she found a baby nursing a dead mother. She picked the baby. She ran in the bush for four days. She did not know this was her granddaughter. My mother is eight, five years old now. She went through a lot. But one year later, after the killings, I came face to face with the relatives of those who murdered my family. I want to tell you, I am human, and we are all human. See, I had forgiven them. I had prayed for forgiveness. But this moment when I saw them, what happened to me, 
was a mystery, but also was a reminder of that we as fallen beings, forgiveness needs to be repeated and repeated again because when I saw them, I became angry. When I became angry, I realized that I was becoming them. You see, when I saw these three brethren from these tribes that murdered my family, because these three brethren were pastors, I had no right to be angry against them. But when I saw them, I saw them through the eyes of their people. And the Lord said to me, Celestine, you have become a tribesman. You are looking at your brothers through the eyes of the tribe. And the Lord said, you need to ask them to forgive you. You need to repent because you have become what you hated. You see, the anger and bitterness came out of nowhere, and I began to look at these two brothers, three brothers, who were Christians, who were pastors. I began to look at them from the sins of their brothers, their fathers. And that's the moment the Lord said, you forgave them before you see them. It is your time to forgive them again. So, my friends, it was that time that I can say I found victory because I called them and I asked them to forgive me because I had no right to hurt them because they were my brothers. It was that moment also that uh, the Lord reminded me that forgiveness is not something that you do once because pain, sorrow, heart can remind you again what has happened. And that moment, you need to realize that you have forgiven. So my friends, what God had taught me that moment was that I need to realize that forgiveness is something that I don't feel is a decision that I make. Forgiveness is not based on feelings because feelings change all the time. Forgiveness must be a decision that you make. And this decision does not depend on the repentance of other people because they may never repent in their lives. Let alone one of them took care of my mom. And people said, how can you entrust your mom to someone whose father, whose brother has killed the rest of your relatives? And that's what I learned, that forgiveness means you trust again. Just that Joseph did to, to his brothers. Joseph, let alone, the brothers thought he would revenge. But a couple of things that he told them, he said, don't be distressed and angry at yourself. Don't be afraid. It was God. It was not you. Then let alone he told them, I will provide for you. At the end of chapter 50, 50 verse 20, 21, he said, I will provide for you. And the Bible says, he began to speak well to his brothers and sisters. My friends, let me tell you, Joseph teaches us that when we look beyond the pain, when we look beyond the heart, we are able to forgive because we rest in God's sovereignty. Joseph said, it was not you, it was God who did so that I can save you. But also, Joseph teaches us that when we look beyond the pain, we are able to restore people from shame and guilt. When the people have sinned against us, they are always guilty. When we even forgive them, they don't accept forgiveness. They don't, they think, with all what I have done, can I be really forgiven? My friends, forgiveness means restoring people from shame and guilt. That's why you who forgives, you need to make an extra step to assure the people are forgiven that you have truly forgiven because shame and guilt will make people run away even when they have been forgiven. The third thing that we learn is that forgiveness restores hope and a future together. Today, I want to tell you that the people 
who murdered my family, I made a commitment that I'm not going to be dealing with them as my enemies because God himself has forgiven me and has restored me to himself. I decided that moment that I'm going to love them and care for them. In fact, I made a commitment that I'm going to help their children. Today, those who murdered my family, my members of my church, today, I and my wife and our children, we are supporting their children. We are sending them to school. We are paying for them. We are giving them food. Because you and I, we have been called to restore hope. I don't know if one of you, someone here, has experienced unforgiveness. I want to challenge all of us. Please remember, for you to be able to undo the root of bitterness, you need to look beyond the pain. You need to look beyond the suffering. You need to rest in God's sovereignty that out of your pain, God can make something good if you trust him. You need to realize that also, that the cost of forgiveness is paid by the forgiver. You need to realize that unless you give up the right to be right, you will never restore relationships. There will be no reconciliation. Maybe you are here, you are faced with unforgiveness or shame and guilt. Today, you can have victory. Maybe today, there's someone you need to say, today, I forgive. Maybe today you can say, I want to accept forgiveness. Maybe today you can say, I'm going to ask my brother, my sister to forgive me. And today, my challenge to you is to be like Joseph. Don't allow the root of bitterness to grow in your heart because it will defile you and it will defile many. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for the joy we have when in you we trust that even the evil that has been committed against us, the injustice committed to us can be redeemed. I thank you because you have told us that never to allow the root of bitterness to grow in our hearts to defile us and defile those we love and we care for. Lord, I want to thank you because you are calling us to be like you that we pay the cost of forgiveness by giving up the right to be right and by giving up the desire to punish, to make other people suffer. Give us the courage to forgive. Give us the grace to be gracious to those who have done harm to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. I was, uh, I was at several churches in Ghana last Sunday, and one of the things I learned in being there is at the end of the message, they would say, uh, has God not spoken? And a uh, very deep understanding of, of the office of preaching and scriptures, and, and Celestine, we thank you um, for bringing